Our scripture reading today comes from John 14, 1 through 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me when I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's fun to see all the red out there. Uh, well, these are normally not true, okay, but this one's true, I, okay? There are two kinds of people in the world. Uh, there are people who uh, never worry about a thing. They don't have a care every day. And there are those who know better than to not worry. Uh, <laughs> And you could probably guess which one I am. I'm kidding. I'm mostly kidding. Uh, we know that worrying too much is not, not really a good thing. But worry is at least understandable, right? Like it's really human thing to do, to worry. And there's a lot to worry about. There's, there's, there's trouble everywhere. At almost every turn, there's trouble that we should be worried about. There's trouble in Ukraine. There's trouble in the stock market. There's trouble at the grocery store. There's trouble at school. There's mental health and anxiety. There's trouble for your kids. There's your house, your mortgage, your interest rates. There's trouble in the labor market, in politics. The schools are in trouble. The airline industry, the tech industry, the auto industry, they're either causing trouble or in trouble, depending on who you ask. And uh, this week, I kid you not, I don't know if you saw this, but the 75-year-old tradition called the Doomsday Clock which is like this summary of everything we are supposed to worry about, how much trouble we're in. It inched 10 seconds closer 
to midnight, and you could watch it live on the internet if you really, really wanted to. This is how bad it is. Uh, even trouble is now in trouble. So, so people, people saying we're too connected. We see too much news. There's too much information. We can now see at a, at a moment's notice, a moment's glance, a terrorist attack in Nigeria and an earthquake in the Pacific and the House floor in D.C. It's everywhere and anywhere. There's too much to worry about. And we should worry about that. That's a problem. Isn't this fun? I could do this all day. And then here comes Jesus in our passage in the Gospel of John. We're, we're near the end of his earthly life here in, in, in John's telling. And he's talking to his disciples. And he has the audacity to tell them and us, let not your hearts be troubled. That's the first thing he says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, if you're like me, when I hear that first blush, I think, how in the world are we supposed to not be troubled? You, you, have, you would have to bury your head in more than sand to not be troubled. And even then, if you did that, there's probably something down there that's worth worrying about too. Like this is an absolute pipe dream. Even the Bible agrees with me, okay? Ecclesiastes 1, verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So it's like, ha, see? Jesus, there's no way we shouldn't worry. We know too much. We know better than to not be troubled. In fact, the only thing I can think of that would make Jesus say this and mean it is if Jesus sees something we cannot. If he remembers something we've forgotten. If he knows something that we don't and that he's trying to show us. Why should our hearts not be troubled? This passage here is, 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 is Jesus' case for why we shouldn't be troubled. It's, uh, if you brought your Bible, I want you to turn there with me. We're in John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book in your New Testament. Chapter 14, we're starting here in verse 1. Now, as we said before, this is a moment in Jesus' life where he is speaking now to his closest followers and friends. He's speaking now to his disciples. And he's preparing them. They're, they're having dinner together. He's preparing them for what will end up being the very worst night of their lives. They don't know it yet. They, they, they can't understand. But in, in a few short hours, they're going to enter the most awful sequence of events in human history. They're going to witness humanity's utter rejection of God's grace in his son Jesus. And they are going to kill God. And the disciples are going to fail. They are going to look God in the eye in Jesus when he needs them the most, and they are going to run. Jesus, by the way, is telling all of this to them ahead of time. And then we get to chapter 14, and he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, 
you may be also. So Jesus tells his followers before their very darkest hour that there's something he knows that they don't. He's telling them and us, don't be troubled. I know where you're going. I know where you're going. Jesus, who knows he's about to die he, he, and be resurrected and ascend to his father, knows that where he is, we will also be. And there's some debate here. You know, is Jesus comforting us with the thought of heaven when we die? Or is he describing actually the, the new heavens and the new earth, the end of history, as his father's house with, with many rooms, our, our, our destiny? And honestly, I think the answer is yes. Because both of these places, both our heavenly home now when our bodies fail us and our permanent home to come are filled with the presence of God. The emphasis, in fact, Jesus gives here is not on the details of where we go, but that when we go, he will be there with us. Where I am, you may be also. Now, the disciples, for their part, they can't imagine this place. Thomas is, has the guts to say it out loud. That's verse 5. He, he says, Jesus, we have no idea where you're going. <laughs> what are you talking about? And if we're honest, we struggle with this too. Jesus, what are you talking about? But Jesus' point is this. He says, you may not know the place where I'm going, but I do. And I go to prepare a place for you there. And it's a place where none of the rules and the wisdom or the worry of this age apply. It is a place so unlike this place that it actually begins to make sense of everything else Jesus teaches about real life. It's a place where it actually makes sense. For example, to love your enemy, which makes no worldly sense to us. To be more, to be more blessed in giving than receiving. A place where we don't covet what we don't have. A place where we can actually rest because there's nothing left to prove to anyone anymore. It's a place as hard for us to imagine as it is absolutely real to Jesus. It is a real place to him. It is more real to Jesus, in fact, than our present reality and experience. It's more permanent. It's more powerful. It's more lasting. This is Jesus' point. It is so real and so different from what we experience now that we no longer need worry about what we experience now. So Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. And even if we can't imagine that, which again, Thomas certainly couldn't for his part, Jesus says more. He says, I know where you're going. And he says, I'm more than enough for you. I'm enough for you. Don't be troubled. Look, look at verse 6. So again, Thomas says, we don't know, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. That doesn't land with him at all. Jesus' answer is so striking here. He says, I am the way. 
Jesus, we don't know the way. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him. And you've seen him. When Jesus here tries to convince us that our our hearts should not be troubled, he offers a very different answer than we hear from most other experts on the subject. Because when it comes to things like worry and fear and anxiety, we, we look for a way. We look for any way. A technique, a program for help. This is the foundation of most self-help books and social media posts. Look, right, right? Looking for a way to worry less? Try these three things tomorrow. Wash, rinse, and repeat. It's everywhere. In other words, when we humans, when we people try to find and manufacture for ourselves the trouble-free life, we look for a way. Jesus says that doesn't work. I am the way. I am the way. There is no other. Jesus Jesus says it is only in knowing me and knowing the Father who sent me through me that you can ever experience the life you were designed for, that you will ever have the abundant life that I've promised to you. And again, the disciples struggle here. They don't, that does not compute for them. Philip replies to Jesus here. This is verse 8. He says, Jesus, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Let me translate that for you. Jesus, you're great and all, but we're ready for more. We're ready for more than you. Can we have that? Show us that. Show us the more than you, and then we'll be okay. But Jesus knows that is not the answer. If no, in fact, if knowing him and the Father through him is not enough, then nothing else ever will be. This is more than just wrong. Like, like to look for more than Jesus can give is more than just kind of like ethically wrong. It just doesn't work. You won't find it. There isn't anything else. If Jesus isn't enough, it doesn't exist. This, by the way, is how I think we begin to make sense of all of Jesus' teaching on prayer. Uh, Even at the end of this passage, Jesus talks about prayer. He says in verse 12, it's one of the most confusing passages without, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, if you have ever prayed to Jesus, however however long you've been a Christian, you know that sometimes Jesus' answer is no. Or at least, not right now. Not always, but sometimes. Sometimes. And then you read a passage like this and you think, Jesus, what can you possibly mean by saying whatever we ask, you'll do? And it's because all of this is in the context of believing and knowing that Jesus is enough. That he's more than enough. 
that knowing him is worth more, much more, than whatever we happen to want in the moment. That it is a more foundational, important, and permanent answer to prayer is his presence with us than anything we could ask for him. Better than a convenient life. Better than a successful life. Better even than a pain-free life. Better than all the things we typically pray for and ask for. That isn't to say we don't ask for those things. That's not what I'm saying. It's that Jesus' teaching here only makes sense when we believe Jesus is better than our preferred answer to our prayer. And the more we align with him, the easier that lesson will become for us. Philip wanted more. He wanted more. And sometimes we want more. But there is nothing more than knowing Jesus. He's enough. This is how, by the way, some of the people who have suffered the most and frankly, have probably prayed the most because of the suffering, are typically the ones who believe the most that Jesus is in fact enough. One of my heroes in this regard is a, a woman named Jillian. She was a friend of my wife and I when we lived in Chicago. And one of the hardest moments in her life and her husband was when she and her husband uh, realized that their precious baby daughter uh, Polly had Down syndrome. And in a moment, everything she envisioned, every expectation she ever had about being a mother, right, it changed instantaneously, forever, irrevocably so. And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed for physical healing for her daughter that simply did not come. And she wrote this, um, Later, she said, I'd already believed in Jesus over half of my life. I attended church. I read scripture. I went to Bible college. I became a missionary. And then later, a pastor's wife. My faith was more than a career. I believed in Jesus. I believed in him. And yet, when I was told that Polly had Down syndrome, my faith buckled with my legs. Her heart was troubled. And understandably so. And it took time, as it always does, for Jesus to walk with her through that trouble. But you know what Jesus did with that pain? You know what Jesus did with that heartache, that, that quote-unquote unanswered prayer? What did Jesus do with that? Well, years later, they, after Polly was born and she was healthy. They adopted another precious girl with Downs and they love her with all their heart. Because they believe now more than ever that Jesus and not what we think we want is enough. He's more than enough. And they know something else too. At least they're beginning to. And it's something Jesus taught them. And it's something Jesus only hints at here, but I think it's the logic behind everything Jesus is teaching his disciples in this moment. He knows all will be well. It will be well 
This is the only way, I think, to make sense of Jesus' command. By the way, this is a command Jesus gives. Let not your heart be troubled. Remember, he has just described in the last chapter a whole world of trouble. <laughs> he said, straight face to his, his disciples, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be betrayed by one of you. I'm going to leave you. And no one can save me from what's coming. And you're all going to abandon me. And Peter, the rock, this guy right here, the best of you, he's going to deny me three times. He has absolutely rocked their world. He has to see the fear in their eyes. Jesus, what are you saying? And he says, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, what he cannot mean by this is that all that pain and that failure and that suffering and that grief, that, that, that those things don't matter. This isn't Buddhism, okay? Jesus is not telling us to detach from our trouble. Real trouble, or to minimize it. Jesus does not say, now repeat with me, class, sticks and stones will break my bones, but trouble will never hurt me. That is not his teaching. He cannot mean, in other words, that trouble doesn't exist. He's just pointed out all kinds of trouble headed these disciples' way. His point must be, as the Apostle Paul will put it later in Romans chapter 8, that it's hard and it's painful and it's bad. As this life can be, it is not worth comparing to what is to come. This must be his point. And I know I've used this before, but it's the best analogy I have for this. It's from Pastor John Ortberg. He wrote a book called Faith and Doubt. And he illustrates this point. He says, imagine you're a parent, you have a child, and there's something wrong with the child. And the doctors don't know what to do. And there's a minute there that you don't know how this is going to go. And then one day, out of the blue, the doctor calls you up and says, we know what it is. We found it. It's not actually that bad. And a very simple procedure will fix this problem forever. It will never be an issue again. You, rejo- you would rejoice. You would feel relief. This is great news. This is the best news you could have hoped for. But when you take your child to the waiting room, to the surgery, they're terrified. <laughs> they're miserable. They're wailing and screaming, don't make me do this. How could you do this to me? You would cry with them because you hate to see your child in so much fear. But every now and then, every now and then, you would have to leave the room so that you could laugh because you know it will all be well. It will be well. Jesus is so thoroughly convinced that it will be well. Despite everything. It's like he stops himself mid-sentence with his disciples. He says, listen, I know everything I just said. It sounds really bad. The trial and the tribulation and the trouble in this world. I know I'm making it sound bad, but it will be well. It will be so good. You can't even imagine. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. Jesus knows it will be well. How does he know? How does he know? 
Because in a few short hours on the cross, every pain and every disappointment and every heartache and every sin and every doubt and every failure and betrayal, every trouble in this world that this life can throw at us and that we throw back out there will be put on him. And when it has been fully poured out to the last excruciating drop, to an extent that you and I will never fully understand, ever. He says in that moment to every troubled heart that looks to him, it is finished. It's over. It's done. And three days later, in another room with these very same disciples, who, by the way, are still gripped In fear and doubt, they are still troubled. He appears to them and he says, put your finger in the scar where the nail went through my hand. And he says, now take your hand and put it on my side. Put it on the scar where my side was pierced. It's the same me. It's me. Do you see how well I am? Do you see how alive I am? Do you see how glorious I am? Do you see me? And do you understand that you will be well and that where I'm going, you will be also? Here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a moment and I want us to pray together. So whatever's in your hands, I want you to put it down your pen, your paper, your phone, whatever. And I want us to examine ourselves together. I I want us to receive the peace that Jesus is speaking over our troubled lives. I'm gonna put these reflection questions up on the screen here one at a time. I want us to take a minute and bow our heads. I want us to put ourselves in that upper room with Jesus. He's sitting with us right now. And I want you to ask yourself, where are you striving? Where are you trying to go with all your might? You're desperate for every step and every breath. Where are you striving? Jesus says over over every feeble dream and wish and anxiety that we bring, he says, where I am going, you may be also. Now ask yourself, what do you want? What answer, what solution, what relief convinces you that it's all you need.
Jesus says over us, I am the way and the truth and the life. Last question, what troubles your heart? What grief, what loss, what fear, what uncertainty grips you? What, what keeps you awake at night? Jesus says over us, let not your heart be troubled. All will be well. Jesus, help us to believe in you like this. Help us to see with your eyes, to understand with our heart that where you go, where you are, we will be also. And that all will be well. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name.